This is the Erasing Shame Podcast, Season 5. Diverse Perspectives Discussing What Matters. This is the October 2021 edition of Erasing Shame. We're recording on Halloween, which is Hallow's Eve. My name is DJ Chuang, one of the co-founders and co-hosts. And since most of our uh, audience is listeners rather than viewers, I thought it'd be helpful to the listeners to actually introduce our voices. Oh, So I have two of my co-hosts with me. So um, I'm going to ask them to say their name and location. So again, I'm DJ Chuang here in Orange County, California. George, would you go next? Yeah, uh, my name is George Zhang and currently located in Chicagoland, Illinois, um, north north suburbs. So we're up in Libertyville. Thank you. And Hannah. Hi, I'm Hannah Lee Sandoval. I'm in uh, San Fernando Valley, Los Angeles County, California. Yes, wonderful. And our fourth co-host couldn't join us because she's moving from Virginia and up north in the, towards, is it Jersey or Boston or something like that? But the topic for tonight <laughs> is fear. <laughs> The fear factor, <laughs> how fear has become such a big part of our media. It's been a part of all our lives because our brains are wired mm-hmm. for responding to fear. As we learn more about neuroscience and how quickly our body and our mind and our emotions respond to threats make the get in and then we have a fight or flight response and then now as we discover a little point nuance some people freeze like deers mm-hmm. some people act like deers and then there's even a fourth one shut down mm-hmm. so play dead like possums and so we're going to talk about fear because it is such a visceral and intense emotion kind of like shame you know and they're actually kind of related. So we're going to explore a bit about that. I'm so happy George and Hannah have some professional training about that. But I know we also have personal stories about fear. Mm-hmm. So who would like to lead with a personal story of fear that you've overcome or one that you still experience from time to time? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the questions I threw out earlier was... Um, I would love to hear, and also from our audience too, if you can post somewhere for us, um, what are some phobias or fears or experiences either in your childhood or as an adult that it would be kind of embarrassing or even shameful for other people to find out? <laughs> and I, I guess I will be transparent first. <laughs> mm. um, I'm a 38-year-old married woman with going to be two kids, and I am still scared of the dark sometimes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, not in familiar places for the most part, but in unfamiliar places, I do not want to be left alone with no light. And I'm sure that's kind of like a not pleasant experience for most people. But for me, it becomes like a very visceral. I go into fight, flight, freeze, you shut down very quickly. Um, and especially if I've been exposed to, you know, during Halloween time, there's a lot of horror movies and just like billboards, commercials and things that I did not ask for or invite. But if I see an image that just strikes me the wrong way, it sticks in my head. And then that night I need to have all the lights on. (laughs) Yeah, not proud of it, but something I've done a lot of work on overcoming. I think the overcoming piece for me was when I was, um, I did an internship or a missions trip with YWAM. And I um, chose to go to Hawaii. And yes, you can do missions in Hawaii. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But we were actually working with the Salvation Army and some other nonprofits. And I didn't know that Hawaii actually has a lot of very fear-based beliefs in the indigenous culture and religions. Mm -hmm. And so, um, by the way, if we have any like listeners who are Islanders, feel free to correct me. But when I was there, what I was told was you don't like carry pork in your car on a certain highway. This is an Oahu, um, because if you do, you know, funny, weird things will happen. Mm. And so one thing that happened to me, um, and then later a friend was that we were on the phone. There was pork, like, I don't know, just, just something with like pork in it, in mm. the car, like leftovers or something. Um, but we, we hadn't thought about it very seriously. Mm. And um, we're on the phone with a friend and it, 
you know, static, but it was like spooky, strange kind yeah. of static, which we realized later, like that was kind of freaky. Um, and then yeah. another friend did something like that. And then um, they went through this series of things where everybody in the house was getting like marks on their back that were unexplained, like scratches. Mm-hmm. And so just a lot of fear-based things. But when I was there for missions training, um, I felt that God was inviting me to not be afraid. And so I would go jogging at night um, right after, you know, kind of all the the sun and everything had gone down. Um, Just learning to like, just be out in the open in an unfamiliar place and push myself a little bit. Um, And it was a mental battle. It was really, really Mm -hmm. hard, but that was a point of breakthrough for me. I guess exposure therapy would be what we call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 How about y'all? That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so right before, um, I dropped my wife off at the airport this morning, um, I told her we were going to be talking about fear today. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm afraid of. And she's like, yeah, because you can't be afraid of anything because I'm afraid of everything. And (laughs) I need you to be okay with anything that pops up in life. (laughs) And so she's like, so you can tell them that the reason why you can't be afraid of anything is because I'm afraid of everything, (laughs) Um, which is, which is somewhat true. You know, I can't be afraid of bugs. I can't be afraid of critters. I can't be afraid of, you know, being, being in the dark. Although I, I will say being in the dark, like there are still moments where I freak myself out. Um, because of all the imagery that exists in my imagination when I'm like home alone and in the basement and mm-hmm. then having to turn off the lights, like the turning off the light and then the quick pitter patter of my feet running up the stairs yes. <laughs> so that whatever's in the basement doesn't catch me. Yes. <laughs> Still happens from time to time. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think, I think too, right. Um, whether it's uh, with uh, indigenous cultures or even you know our own ethnic cultures, right? A lot of fear also has created superstitions, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't do certain things, right? And so, like in the Hmong culture, you don't point at the moon at night because um, if you oh. do, you get a cut behind your ear. And like there are millions of Hmong people. Well, I don't know if millions, hundreds of thousands, because I think there's only like <laughs> six or seven hundred thousand in the U.S who will attest to having a cut behind their ear after pointing to the moon. Mm. I think it's a belief thing where like, if you believe that that's true, it actually happens. Um, But I don't believe that it happens. So I'm always mocking it and pointing at the moon. (laughs) And my wife is always like, don't don't do that. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think the other thing is, um, so movies like you were saying um Hannah like really messed me up because my imagination can just run mm-hmm. um and so I remember um one one weekend for one of my friend's 16th birthdays we watched 28 days later which was a big zombie movie back mm-hmm. in the day and uh there was a scene where the power grid goes out right and then all of the zombies started attacking. And that same weekend, the power grid goes out in my neighborhood. I'm the only person at home. I'm like 15 and I'm freaking out and I'm locking all the doors. I go into my garage. I grab my bow and arrow, like my 40 pound pole bow and arrow. And I'm sitting in the basement, just rocking back and forth because my, my brain was so racked by that movie. Um, and my brother and my mom and my dad come into the house and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, don't worry about it. And I put the bow away, (laughs) go about my day. But that's, that's my, my big fear issue is movies really trigger a lot of fear in me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, uh, for our listeners and audience, uh, you might have heard the ding, and our first co-host has joined us. Yay. Hello, Leah. How are you? Where have you relocated from Virginia to? I am finally in Boston, Massachusetts. Yay. Was Boston? I've never been to Boston in the fall. <laughs> um, it's gorgeous. 
Mm -hmm. It's really gorgeous. It's my first time in the northeastern part of the country, and it's, yeah, it's a great time to be here. Oh, yay. We're just getting started sharing our personal fears, those that we've overcome or those that we still experience from time to time. If you want to share something with a little levity, that would be certainly welcome. And we know fear is related to shame. We'll get there pretty soon, too. So my uh, fear that I still experience, and I'm 55, so what um, I don't watch horror movies because I, too, am quite sensitive to picking up the heebie-jeebies and the vibes from those things. And I don't understand how people can watch those things and just laugh it off. But mm-hmm. I, I, I feel the scaredness, and that's not a good feeling. I have plenty of other things to fear in life. So my, my fear is um, performance and unstated mm. expectations. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So whether that's cultural faux pas or um, people thinking I wouldn't know how to behave in a mm. certain situation or there's a time where I have to deliver res- results or something and the... Mm-hmm. the um, expectations aren't spelled out and yeah I, I i i have that freeze feeling so i tend to move to freeze not fight or flight mm-hmm. so i tend to freeze and um because because the internal message is am i doing it right am i doing something wrong mm-hmm. and what if it's not good enough and what will i lose so that mm-hmm. that feeds into the um discomfort of the fearful feelings mm-hmm. so that, that's why I enjoy erasing shame in the way I'm producing it because there's no expectations. <laughs> I can just record and not have to edit and not aim for a certain quality where I have to approach that fear. It's it's my hope that as we set this as an example, it's it's okay to be imperfect and it can still provide value for people. So that's one that I constantly um, still experience. Mm. Wait, so is this whole podcast exposure therapy for you, DJ? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's well, exposure for myself and for others. Because well, <laughs> so the, the, there's even more behind that because being Asian American, we're under such a pressure collectively to perform. Yeah. And we celebrate the top 1% or the people that get the awards. But I'm like, there's 99% of us that don't ever get recognition or get awards. What happens to the rest of us? Mm-hmm. Now, I consider myself among 99%, even though I've authored a book, I've done a few things that people might consider accomplished, but I see myself as a normal person. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you know, the latest research say that um, among young adults, ages 15 to 24, suicide is the number one cause of death. Yeah. So I'm like, there's such despair because we mm-hmm. don't perf- quote unquote perform or we don't feel like we're enough. And so, so that's mm-hmm. even more the reason why I, uh, part of why I started yeah. erasing shame four years ago, three years ago, mm-hmm. 2018. Yeah. Leo, do you want to ante up with your fear story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, rodents. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Hamsters? I'm sorry. Even hamsters? I mean, they're fine. I prefer. I'm not a huge fan, but I just <laughs> rats and mice. Just I can't do them. Um, in my old job, like I had snacks in my drawer, and because I, I am a, I'm constantly hungry. And I just didn't realize there were mice. Like the building had a history of like mice coming into the building, and um. One day I just saw one just go up on my desk while I'm sitting there and I just ran and I did not look back. Oh, no. uh, I had to get a student worker to go come go retrieve my stuff for me. And like I refused, I didn't work in the office and <laughs> for like a week. And I had my husband come in and clean my office for me, disinfect it. And I still didn't, I never opened that drawer that the mice was hiding in like, <laughs> until I left. Like I just never opened it. I was like, I know there's no mice, but oh, I just. No. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I can't do it. I don't know where this fear came from. Yeah, I was just gonna ask because you've you've lived abroad and traveled quite a bit. So I wonder what you've been exposed to in terms of environment. 
just yeah I can't I think there's just something about like I just don't want to be near it I'm okay if it's like in behind a cage or if it's like a hundred feet or yards <laughs> away from me but I, I I don't know so uh did movies like Ratatouille give you the heebie-jeebies is it a horror movie for no you? that's totally <laughs> fine it was cute the rat was like genius um it's contained in the screen <laughs> yeah and it's an intelligent mouse. Like I'm assuming it has great hygiene if it's like cooking for people. Um, <laughs> but I just, I can, I, I physically started exhibiting like oh. signs of trauma after that oh. got on my desk. Mm. I would just shake and just, I, it, it was a whole ordeal after that. Um, so yeah, rodents for me. Yeah. How about spiders? I'm okay with spiders. Okay, so then I have what for spiders, what you have for rodents. I I think even, you know, the kitchen mouse are cute. <laughs> I'm known in seminary for saving one. <laughs> we had a mouse that was going from dorm to dorm kind of in our fuller seminary. And um, it ended up in our house and we pulled the fridge out and it like crawled up my arm. And, you know, I was just surprised. It was just a surprise element, but I was surprised how cute and small it was when we caught it on a sticky trap. And then a bunch of seminarians, future pastors, mind you, came over talking about the various ways we could kill it without giving it pain. <laughs> and then while nobody was looking, I sneaked it out of the apartment complex and I released it into the trash can way over in the school of psychology. <laughs> We've named him Hungry Jack. <laughs> oh, man. They're so cute, Leah. <laughs> They're just hungry little animals. <laughs> Have you guys seen Nutrias in real life? Nutrias? Yeah, Google this. It's basically giant rats. Like they're like big and they look like rats and they're in the rat family. Um, And it's a thing. And I'm deadly terrified of coming across one one day. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Well, don't come to to Chicago. Wow. I think Chicago actually has the the highest like rat per capita like infestation. Oh, cool. More than New York. That's surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. is surprising. Yeah. My wife was like, I want to try living in the city one year since we're since we're here. I'm like, I don't think you could do it. And we went and visited some friends and they had like a, a lower level parking garage. And as we were driving out, like just rats running across everywhere. And she was like, yeah, nope, can't do this. <laughs> so, yeah, not Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, but if you had to choose between zombie apocalypse and rat apocalypse, would you, would you choose zombies? Easily. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'd rather take my chances with zombies. <laughs> oh man that is the thing about fears and phobias right they're just so like not logical or rational it's just very emotional Mm -hmm. and visceral that is so funny and very unique and individualized yeah 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 and I think that's huge and you know I think it was interesting right because uh DJ as you posed the like the the first question I, I was like how often do we actually talk about our fears in in community and in society, right? Where I was just like, oh, I don't think I've ever been asked this question like in just a regular setting before or had conversations like this with friends before. Um, so that's one thing that, that you know, is just really interesting. But I think too, the, the point that you were making, Hannah, is just, yeah, the fear is very unique to the individual and to their experiences in life that kind of have created those visceral reactions to um, to the fears that they experience, and you know we can kind of look at fear in in a few different categories, right? We can see fear as an emotion, right, as a bodily response to um, our environment, trying to kind of share with us how we're experiencing what's happening around us, and um, you know even as a protective measure, right. Um, those of us who are able to still feel connection to our physical sensations, um, 
And, and I, I make that note because individuals who suffered from trauma, mm-hmm. right, oftentimes very, find it very difficult to connect to their physical experience. And so mm-hmm. when, we, when we experience those things, the goosebumps, <clears throat> the butterflies, yeah. uh, the racing uh, heart rate, right, um, it tells us that we don't feel safe. It tells us that mm-hmm. it's not a situation we want to find ourselves in. Um, and then we jump into kind of the elevated state of anxiety, mm-hmm. right? And, and there's this understanding that, um, you know, if it's a generalized anxiety, right, that your mind is kind of just constantly feeling vigilant about things that you need to, to be paying attention to and uh, having to, to plan for and, and be worried about, right? Um, and then you know, kind of getting into more specific phobias, right, or these irrational fears or, you know, kind of um, heightened states of anxiety around specific issues. Um, and, and that's kind of a space where it becomes even more um, unique to the individual. And, and I think oftentimes when it comes to fear, there is a lot of shame in around being able to say, hey, I'm afraid of this, or Right, because nobody wants to be able to say like, or nobody wants to say, I'm I'm still afraid of the dark, <laughs> right? I'm a grown adult, but I'm still afraid of the monster that might come and creep up and grab me from this the basement, yes. right? Yes. Um. Yeah. So I think I think um, as we kind of continue this conversation, um, what what have um, some responses? the fear looked like for you as you've either shared it or seen someone else experience Mm -hmm. fear um what's kind of yeah let's start there what's your reaction Mm -hmm. to seeing someone else in fear um and and what that was a really yeah that was a really good framework so thank you george for sharing that and as we explore how we can how we respond or react to others experiencing fear Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think of um, uh, some relatives that I know. They they are afraid of anything outside of their home, and so they draw mother mm-hmm. curtains and use little um, what they call those uh, push pins to seal all their window drapes so that no one can look in. Mm-hmm. Even wow. the top little window. Um, decorative windows on the top of the garage doors. They, they have cardboards blocking those in case people want. They, they, they're fearful that people would look in. Yeah, borderline paranoia. That's a lot of anxiety. And then, and then they would lock, lock, physically lock the garage door wow. at night. And then um, any time in between things, the front door would be locked and they'd get a chair in front of it. And wow. they hide the keys oh. at night. Um, mm. And there's no so, previous trauma, DJ. Well, I mean, they they're they're immigrants, and so I don't know where that comes from, but mm. uh, it seems a bit excessive in terms of um, here we are in suburbia, and there's wow. no past incident mm. in that location that's happened. Um, I'm guessing they may have lived through wars or some mm. um, more difficult situations, but. Mm. here in America that habit is still there and I've heard I've traded notes with some others that that may not be such an uncommon thing for people Mm. that really like to have their curtains drawn even though um, drawn tightly Mm. not just having the um, light reduced and I guess you know today with with technology we have a lot of people that have those little electronic cameras in front of their doors to prevent the porch pirates so i mean that's that's a realistic preventative thing but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sometimes it spills over into the realm of fear and phobia and irrational things yeah seems disconcerting but um in terms of a more personal uh, real-time incident when someone's experiencing fear i would I would like to think that I would stand with that person experiencing fear so that they're not facing it alone. Mm. I'm trying to think of a specific situation where I've had to do that. But, um, 
I mean, over the past two years, but been mostly Zoom kind of conversations. Okay. So the fear of being alone is a fear. So that's that's one I can readily step into to help someone not feel <clears throat> alone by being with them. Mm -hmm. I guess um, in my work, um, a lot of my clients, <clears throat> when they, um, well, one thing I've actually noticed Asian Americans is that I almost feel like there's a good number of people who can pinpoint what the fear is and what their anxieties are and how they're coping <laughs> or avoiding. But then I also find that there's a sizable number of Asian American, very high achieving, high functioning adults who can kind of identify the surface things they're stressed about, but there's mm -hmm. such like layers of defense or even dissociation and trauma that it takes some time for them to even like earn enough trust. I, I need to earn their trust mm -hmm. where we can together explore and develop awareness of the deeper fear. So mm -hmm. like sometimes they'll be talking about this, this, this on the outside or the surface for like the longest months and months. And then like six months to a year in, suddenly it's like, oh, we finally pinpoint what that root was. And then it mm -hmm. eventually is like, oh, all those surface things make sense, but they're all coming back to the same core fear that you had or false belief, right? So for mm -hmm. a lot of people, it's like the fear of being unloved if, if somebody knew everything about them or the fear of being alone and rejected. Um, a lot of people have a fear of dying um, and dying alone and associating being alone with death, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the cool things that I really enjoy doing is doing intergenerational work, especially with Asian American families. <clears throat> um, but like, you know, something as simple as I have an aversion to knives and I have a real, um, I get threatened easily when someone tries to touch my neck. And I know that mm -hmm. there are martyrs in my father's line. And so intergenerationally, if I look at it, I'm, I'm thinking, well, it makes sense that if some of my ancestors were beheaded because of their faith, right? Um, mm -hmm. Sometime in Korea a long, long time ago, then it makes sense that for generations, their children and their children's children would have an aversion to anybody touching their neck and any sharp yeah. blades. So in our home, if anybody leaves out a knife or they're handing a knife, I make a really big stink about, make sure you handle it you know, you carry it Correctly. carefully. Mm -hmm. um, when you wash it, put it in the dishwasher or the dryer, make sure it's point down. But there's this real aversion. I didn't realize that my whole family kind of had a sensitivity around it. So then with clients, it's like, oh, you um, hate being out on the open water or you hate being alone in the mountains or just, you know, something random to me. But for them, there might be a hidden story of actual trauma, danger, and death. So I'm wondering, DJ, for your relatives, like, gosh, maybe they had ancestors who died because somebody broke into their house or experienced severe trauma in war and danger and things like that. So that's been another layer of like, the fear feels like mine, but it mm -hmm. may actually be a story that's been passed down mm -hmm. to enable our survival so that we stay away from those things and avoid those things that were dangerous to somebody in our bloodline. Mm -hmm. Well, such as it is with Asian culture, the the Asian culture or the immigrant generations don't like talking about those things. And so we've, we've grown up with many generations of shame culture where we don't talk about the fears and the weaknesses and the phobias and the superstitions. So uh, my dad passed away about 10 years ago and we discovered that he had so many superstitions, uh, even in my name, how I was named was a superstition because he wanted a certain phonetic sound to be pronounced as a way of blessing to ward off the ghosts. Mm. And, and there's many more stories like that, I'd imagine. Um, it's in some way a fear-based, shame-based culture. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it. And I suppose if we were to look at American culture, there's certain fears too. As, as silly as the number 13. Oh yeah. <laughs> and black mm -hmm. cats and stepping on cracks. And broken mirrors, right? Walking under ladders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question. So that, that question about how do you respond to other people's fears? And I'm wondering if anyone else resonates with this or has seen this, but um, growing up, I felt like 
uh, Asian parent, having Asian parents in an immigrant household, like being afraid was often minimized and kind of like the response immediately is don't be scared. That's nothing. That's mm-hmm. stupid. That's silly. That's childish. That's weak, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I would also get that from like my white American teachers and, you know, the leaders I was around, but about different things. Um, and then each would look at each other's <laughs> superstitions as like silly, but their owns as like valid, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's something I experienced when I travel abroad. Actually, when I was in India, um, I saw little kids and kind of infants and toddlers with like big black marks in Goa, um, and then their hair cut short. And I asked and they said it was to make them look unattractive to the goblins or demons that would steal the, the pretty babies. And so, mm-hmm. of course, being an American, I was like, well, that's a shame and kind of doesn't make sense to me kind of silly like these are beautiful babies who shouldn't have big black marks on their faces but to them that's a that's a real thing and I'm sure we Americans do things that people in India or Asia would be like why are you doing that so yeah it's kind of I think when we understand someone's fear or we experience things similar we can like empathize but if their fear seems to us irrational or unfounded or unfamiliar it's easy to minimize or even mock and ridicule right Right. Yeah, there's um, there's that empathy piece that really needs to exist, right? And again, empathy is um, a space of understanding, right? And that's, you know, I think a real issue, one, in actually, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out that one because that's a real issue in humanity's experience, right? is that we disassociate ourselves from things that make us uncomfortable, right? And so this is where sympathy or platitudes or you know, the brushing things off and invalidating becomes a kind of a defense mechanism for our, our personal selves, right? To kind of ease our own discomfort that someone around us is uncomfortable, right? Um, and, and if we, you know, really can step into that space of empathy and be able to say, oh, let me understand that a bit more, right? It allows us to actually respond in, in a validating and, and, you know, more so healing way than simply saying, oh, you're being crazy, right? Um, and I think when it comes to fear, that term gets thrown around the most, right? Is, you know, that, that's a crazy thought. Why are you even thinking that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is really interesting. I have maybe one thought that I'm sort of formulating, so might not make sense. Let me know if it doesn't. I watched a TikTok recently where this guy was explaining that um, oftentimes human beings, like we tend to, instead of instead of our actions following our thoughts, oftentimes we justify our actions if that makes sense like instead like I do something and in my brain I rationalize as to why I did that even though it might not be something I consciously chose to do Mm -hmm. and that idea has been sort of I've been sort of thinking about that a lot as to like oh what are the things I do on a daily basis that I sort of end up justifying in my brain for the sake of um for do not have any sort of cognitive dissonance And I'm curious how fear um, and shame sort of intersect with that. Because I was thinking about when I first made this country, I was 13. I just started high school. And my parents were terrified that I would like fall into the wrong side or get um, just start hanging out with the wrong crowd. And my mom refused to let me go to prom because she thought she just didn't understand prom and she was, and she was terrified. And I was like, I'm not going with a date. Like a date doesn't mean you're like a, that they're your boyfriend or girlfriend. Like I'm going with a group of friends and she just would not have it. She wouldn't entertain it um, or anything. Um, And like after a few years when her friends, like when other kids started growing up and she started seeing that prom is really just, not that big of a deal. We're like, yeah, I kind of regret not sending you now. Um, mm. And it's interesting because now I'm thinking back, like my parents had a lot of what I would consider irrational fears about me growing up in a Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would say, oh, no, it's completely rational. Like it makes sense. Like you don't know what it's like to be a parent to move to another uh, country and raise your kids in a culture where, right? And 
Yeah. It's interesting because I um sort of the uh where my family and I butt heads is that I am very curious about why people are the way they are and my family isn't. Um, and I used to do the mistake of like forcing my curiosity onto them and like trying to get them to like analyze why you do the way you do when they weren't mm. really like consenting mm. to that necessarily. Um, but now I'm now that I'm thinking back, I'm like, I'm seeing patterns of like their fears and anxieties that have manifested into just everyday life and intergenerational trauma that, um, I'm like, I, I I kind of wish, like, I'm like, I wish you would be curious to, like, explore that about yourself so you can learn how to come uh, on the other side. But um, I, I think there is a very interesting connection between justifying your fears um, for the sake of avoiding cognitive dissonance, I think. I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Um, ha have you heard of the phrase action reflection? No, I don't know um, the context in which I heard it, but I mean, it was one of my mentors, John Tiersman Watson, who's super wise and learned. Um, but I think when we were in the inner city talking about justice and community development, it came up. But this idea of you can plan and plan and plan down to the last detail, whatever your you know goal is to achieve. But sometimes you just kind of have to, at some point you have to just go into it, not knowing what's going to happen and what all the factors are, because it's it's not your native environment. And then you can reflect afterwards, um, expect to make mistakes, you know, and then reflect on that and then act again. Right. So this is kind of a cycle of action reflection. I think there's another piece I'm missing. Um, but I, I feel like what you're talking about is what I would contextualize is kind of like our a uh, top brain or a neocortical brain where we're conscious of things and we can plan and make sense and rationalize but then our subconscious and <laughs> I do this brain spotting thing which is like a, we're working with the subcortical or subconscious brain where we tell people that deeper part of your brain that's between your brain stem and your top of your brain is where emotion memory and trauma lie and the amount of information that's being processed there, the amount that goes up into your consciousness is very little compared to how much, I'm sorry, uh, the, the amount of information that gets flowed up from the emotional, you know, kind of memory brain up to the conscious brain, it's way more than the traffic from your conscious brain down into your subconscious. So some of the work with clients is, well, a lot of times you're going to do and feel things that don't make sense because you're not every action isn't from rational motivation. It's from your body and your emotion that's really driving a lot. And it's bringing the three into alignment, right? And trying to find balance and cohesion that brings a lot of the healing from trauma and whatnot. So what you're saying makes perfect sense is yes, we do a lot of things because we're bodies, we're embodied souls, we're mammals, right? At the end of the day, mm -hmm. we're mammals. Um, and then we try and make sense of it because we have a larger cerebellum than the other mammals. Although mm -hmm. I, I do sometimes wonder if like dolphins and elephants and, and horses and other very, very smart animals also do that. Oh, I ate one too many carrots and apples. Why did I do that? My stomach hurts. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think too, right, um, the, I think the big issue comes out of even this original question that we're we're working with around shame, right? And that is judgment breeds shame, which then breeds insecurity and all these fears that come with it, right? And so when we think about even the question, why do we do things and then find ways to justify it? Right. It's because we're fearful of the judgment that would come after the behavior has already existed. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I think in terms of being able to strip away that judgment, right, and meet that situation with compassion allows for a lot more healing and understanding in uh, that situation. Um, that then requires us as individuals who are experiencing their fears, right? Um, to, to either one, live sacrificially and say, okay, I can be okay because I understand why they're fearful in the ways that they are, mm -hmm. right? And why they don't want me to take this certain, you know, step or 
act in this way, right? Um, or two, we, you know, kind of create those boundaries and be able to say, well, your fears are impairing me from being able to enjoy the life that I'm wanting to live. And I have to just make this boundary and this personal decision for myself, regardless of where you are with your fear at the moment, right? Um, and as Asian kids, we'll never be able to, <laughs> to, to draw those lines, right? But um, I think um, in that space, you know, kind of removing that judgment, right, um, is, is part of the process of being able to say, this is my experience, right? And if I can not judge myself for behaving this way, but ask myself compassionately why I'm doing this, yeah. right? Then that allows for that wiggle room to be able to say, okay, maybe I don't necessarily have to respond this way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, I think compassion and kindness towards ourselves is really like that, that starting space mm -hmm. of just really letting our experiences be what they are. Because again, you know, like if you're fearful about jaywalking, right? Why should someone else judge you for not wanting to jaywalk when they're jaywalking, right? Um, like that's, that, that's an irrational state of mind to be in, to, to judge someone based on the behaviors that they're doing without knowing anything about why they're behaving that way, right? Um, and so if we can show ourselves that compassion, we can then show that compassion to other people um, and then make intentional choices around how to respond, how to react. Um, and so, yeah, thanks, thanks for, for sharing that experience, Leah. And I think, I think it is a hard space to be in and we end up kind of missing out because people in general aren't able to show themselves compassion and understand why they do what they do. Right. I, I think one, one thing that I'm still learning as a mom of a three-year-old now is um, he has gone through his, I'm scared of the dark, there's monsters. And, you know, of course he still loves Halloween, so it doesn't make any sense to me, but um, I initially found myself being just like my parents when he would say, I'm scared, I'm scared. I was dismissing and I was minimizing and I was saying, don't be scared. You don't have to be scared. And I would rationalize why. Um, I eventually learned and realized, okay, it's not going away. It's actually making it worse. <laughs> he's getting more scared because I won't believe that he's scared. So what I changed to is, oh, okay, you're scared. Why are you scared? Oh, there's monsters. Oh, there's monsters. And then we would have a productive conversation exploring his experience. Mm -hmm. And then I would reassure him, I'm here. So now when I say, when he says, I'm scared, mommy, I'll say, okay, you're scared. I'm here. I'll protect you. And that was wonderful because mm. just after I started doing it, maybe a month in, and he's only like two at the time. Um, I think my husband or I, somebody said, I'm scared or I'm worried or I'm nervous. And my son said, it's okay. He repeated what we were feeling. And then he said, I'm here. I'll protect you. Wow. I realized when people say that they're scared of their feeling fear, it's not that they're looking for someone to say, well, there's no reason for you to feel that way. What they're looking right. for is relationship and connection and reassurance and comfort. Um, and it starts with ourselves. So, you know, for me mm -hmm. to expect that from my parents who never did it for themselves would be a lot to ask. But for the next generation, I can start to listen to my own fears, explore where they come from, sit with them. Mm -hmm. And then I can also pass that on to my son, which he's already picked up so quickly. Mm -hmm. But that empathy piece, especially when we're fighting about things like vaccine mandates, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to agree or understand why there's some parents and teachers and doctors even out there who are scared of the vaccine and fearful of our government mandates. I just kind of need to listen sometimes and, and understand. And I can have my own feelings and thoughts, but when I'm in relationship mm -hmm. with somebody else, it's my job to listen and just be present. I don't have to validate or agree, but I can validate that they're experiencing what they're experiencing and be kind about it. So just mm -hmm. a thought. Got political. Wow, that was powerful. <laughs> that was powerful and personal. Yeah. yeah. And as I've heard all of you talk, I think of um, people that are fear of the unknown yeah. and versus people that are curious. And I think the people that fear of the unknown or fear of losing control tend to outnumber those are, who are curious. Yeah. And then the ones who are curious that might be too curious that are just uh, 
foolish <laughs> and get into anything as if they were courageous, but um, you need a little more wisdom on how to jump into things. But um, yeah, it, so, so for those of us being empathetic and supportive and validating of those experiencing fear, um, it, it almost sounds to me like on the other side, the person that has the fear um, has to come to a place within him or herself to want to change. Mm -hmm. And that, that may be very elusive for many people that are, that are blinded by that fear. And um, I don't know what to do with that, but it doesn't help me to be annoyed or frustrated by that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. so I'm trying to think, okay, what, what do I need to do mm -hmm. in, in re right. reaction to them? Because it's not my job to change them, yeah. but it, it can be my job to support. Mm -hmm. And it can be uh, better for me to choose better re reactions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I think in, in my practice and in the work that I do with my clients, right, there are oftentimes a lot of fears that, that I have to wrestle with and that they wrestle with. And the starting question is, are you okay with this? Or is it something that you want to change? Is it something that you want to, to no longer have to live with? Or is it something that you're okay with living with? Because we can very quickly get into that judgment space of saying, oh, well, that's a horrible way to live. Why would you ever want to, you know, stay with that? And, um, you know, but they're not ready to let go of that fear. They're not ready to process it or even want to imagine a life where they don't have to worry about those things, you know. And also, you know, I think, um, you know, about like, so I, I work with a number of African-American women who live very vigilant lives because they have to. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a space where they've kind of just accepted that I have to be vigilant about my surroundings, about who I'm with and anything that can happen. And it's not even a matter of, do you want to, to let go of that? It's just a matter of, I'm sorry that this is an existence that you have to, a reality that you have to, to exist in, right? Yeah. Um, and so, DJ, I think that's a that's a huge question to to have to ask within ourselves is um, what what am I doing about my response, right? How am I engaging with my discomfort? Mm -hmm. um, and and I think to to kind of wrap up, um, there are a lot more uh, therapies and and uh, interventions that are coming out that are less um, diagnosis based. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we're not in a space of needing to diagnose in the sense of um, comparing yourself to what the norm is anymore. Um, and hopefully this field will continue to grow. But, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure brain spotting is one of those spaces. Um, and uh, IFS is another one of those spaces that I've been kind of learning and studying. But there's kind of this understanding that when we keep ourselves out of that space of diagnosis, right, we recognize that judgment by pace, you know, putting ourselves up against the norm, right, really isn't helpful. And we really just need to be able to engage with our own stories and our own experiences and messages in order to be freed and function in a way that we uh, we need to in order to enjoy our life, not in order to make society happy based on our ability to function within their expectations. Right. Um, wow. George, you're so articulate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Mike, when you're dead. <laughs> for, for, for listening, for listeners, uh, what is IFS? Yeah, yeah. So IFS is internal family systems and um uh, Richard Schwartz uh, is the, the founder of it, and um, it, it really is kind of just taking a look at the different parts of ourselves um, that tend to manage and put out fires whenever we're in uh, seasons of distress. And so it's a very interesting um, uh, therapy and, and I think is continuing to grow. Um, and, and I think brain spotting is something very similar where we're kind of just reorganizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
reorganizing our experiences. And I mean, everybody um, knows inner child, inner critic. Those are parts of the mm-hmm. AFS system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so you cool. hear yourself saying, a part of me wants to do this and a part mm-hmm. of me doesn't. Um, it's uh-huh. really engaging with those parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. Yeah. The one of the things that we wanted to do with Erase Shame was to de- demystify yeah, the sorry. jargon. So I totally went you. super nerdy. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you landed that really quickly. So you're awesome. Leah, thank you for joining us. I missed your big move. This was a phenomenal conversation. I felt really good about it. And I thought it was really, really helpful. We we all experience fear and we've brought it to the light and given some handles on um, how we can help each other and get out from the shame of it and also take some healthy steps towards getting help we need if we want to grow and change. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. So glad you have uh, journeyed with us in season five. Uh, We've got a couple more months left in this year and we'll try to squeeze in at least one, maybe two episodes amidst these holiday seasons. Thank you for tuning in. Please drop us a line on erasingshame.com. You can leave a voice or a message or any of the social media networks that we're on, including YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So until next month, please uh, subscribe and share with a friend. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Erasing Shame podcast. Check out our website at erasingshame.com. We would love to hear your comments and questions. Please subscribe on any podcast app like Apple, Google, Spotify, or on Facebook and YouTube. And please add a rating, a review, and a share so more people can experience the freedom and healing that comes from erasing shame.